All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Rand Paul gets banned from social media. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's comments on vaccines come back to haunt them and a member of the Virginia House of Delegates asked honestly why we can't all just get along with respect to masks. We're going to be talking about all of this and more on making the argument where we make the arguments to defend a free society. So first things first, um, let's let's talk about some of the things that, that went on in the General Assembly, because a colleague of mine, who I think is a very genuine person, uh, got up and she basically asked, why is it such a problem with respect to just following the science when it comes to things like COVID? And specifically, she was wondering about why masks has become such an issue. And she doesn't understand why we've all gone into our, our various tribal groups and why this has become so political. And I really do believe that she was being earnest because I've worked with her before in the General Assembly. And while we disagree on a lot of things, she has always been a, a genuine person. And so I want to attempt to answer her question uh, at the same time that I want to address some things that happened with Rand Paul, some things that have happened with Joe Biden, because I think as we talk about the things with Rand Paul, with Joe Biden, some of the other comments that have been made, that will actually provide some, uh, some clarity on why there is such a problem. So her issue, and she's, she works in the medical profession, she's a nurse practitioner, I believe, but she wanted to ask, why is it that when it comes to something as simple as masks, why has this become so incredibly divisive? And I think all you really have to do is take a look at what just happened to Rand Paul when he got banned from social media. What is now showing back up in the news with respect to PolitiFact actually doing a fact check on uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and pointing out the fact that they were very mistrustful of the vaccines when Trump was president. Um, I, I think those are two very good examples of why this has become so partisan on so many levels. And so in an attempt to answer that question, let's, let's talk about this. Because specifically she brought up masks, so I want to provide an explanation. Um, when it comes to the idea, can, can masks actually prevent, especially when we start, we're talking about all these school boards across Virginia right now that are reversing their decisions to make masks optional uh, and instead of mandating them, what, what you see is that they didn't, they didn't change their mind based off of new scientific research or data or studies that came out demonstrating the overall efficacy of children in schools wearing predominantly cloth masks as a way to prevent the spread. Right? There, there was no new study, there was no breakthrough analysis that came out demonstrating that wearing a cloth mask is going to make you significantly safer from transmitting or, um, or getting coronavirus. No, no new breakthrough. So what changed? What changed with respect to all of these school boards now changing their mind and taking a previous policy, which was masks are optional for school, and now mandating it, saying that your child 
will not be allowed to go to a public school unless they wear a mask. Doesn't matter if they've been vaccinated, doesn't matter if they've had it, now they have natural immunity, doesn't matter if schools are not a major transmission point, doesn't matter if uh, teachers have been vaccinated, nope, you will now wear it, and that's it. And if you don't, your kid gets kicked out of school. They don't get to go to school, at least not in person, at least not in person. And for a lot of kids that are living in areas where they might not have the same access to internet and whatnot, that's tantamount to them not being able to get an education that they are promised within the Virginia Constitution. So what changed in order to make all those school boards switch? Well, it was really simple. The governor came out and said that based off of the law that was passed last session, um, that essentially said that school boards had to, in order to open up again, because a lot of the Democrats didn't even want to open up the schools, so we had to fight in order to get schools to be uh, reopened. But the, one of the caveats was is that school boards had to follow CDC guidance um, to the extent that it was practicable, right? That, that they could actually do it. And the governor has now interpreted that as that, well, okay, that means that now masks are mandatory by Virginia law. The patron of the bill, who also happens to be a doctor, has said, well, no, that's not what the bill means. Um, and that when you actually look at what's going on with respect to these cloth masks and how it uh, you know, prevents or does not prevent someone from transmitting or getting coronavirus, whether it be uh, the original or the Delta variant, that no, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't impose upon schools. It doesn't put schools in a position where if a child doesn't wear a mask, they're going to kick them out of school. But that was the governor's interpretation. Now, the governor's not a judge. The governor's part, not part of the judicial branch. The governor has an opinion on this. And what the governor essentially said was is that if you don't do this, you could be facing legal ramifications. So essentially, this was intimidation. This was an intimidation attack by the governor to try to get a lot of these school boards to reverse their decisions. And again, wasn't based off of any new groundbreaking evidence. Right? It wasn't based off of the, you know, several studies from the CDC demonstrating that ch kids wearing cloth masks will drastically reduce transmission of COVID. It wasn't based off of any of that. Okay? It was based off of a combination of the CDC putting out this guidance, the Biden administration pushing it, and Governor Northam wanting to hide behind guidance instead of making a mandate. He didn't want to be coming out and be seen as he was the one imposing this. He wanted to make it look like, hey, he was just informing people of what the law was. And so you have had several school boards because they're, they're terrified, not because of the threat of transmission, not because of the threat of COVID. They're terrified that they're going to get sued or they're going to somehow get punished by the governor if they don't mandate masks. So first things first, if, if you're going to make an argument, you, you would think that you could make a sufficient argument based off of the data, based off of the research and based off of the studies in order to compel parents to put their kids in masks regardless if the studies and the data actually back that up as a, as a logical scientific conclusion. The problem is, is a lot of the studies that we've had coming out looking at this case, looking specifically at the efficacy of wearing cloth masks, have demonstrated that there doesn't seem to be any real benefit. Now the question is, is, is there a cost associated with it? Well, is there a cost associated with people having to wear masks all day, especially children wearing masks all day, as they're trying to be educated? I would say that there is. The reason why I know that there is, is because if we weren't dealing with any sort of pandemic right now, nobody would be advocating for children to wear masks as a result of safety concerns. Because it does impede with learning. It impedes in a couple of different ways. Again, if you're a student wearing glasses, you got a mask on, every time you breathe, your glasses fog up, that impedes learning. If you can't hear your teacher because she's talking through a mask or he's talking through a mask, that impedes learning. Not to mention the fact that for younger students, being able to see someone's face as they're speaking to you is significantly important, and it's actually important for all of our students. So there are costs associated with this policy. And a lot of these school boards and a lot of people have essentially come forward and said, I don't see the benefit. I don't see the studies uh, suggesting that there's a significant benefit that outweighs the costs associated with doing this. Therefore, 
We will allow parents to make individual decisions with respect to what's beneficial for them. We will allow teachers to make the same decisions with respect to what's beneficial for them. Right? That seems pretty reasonable in an environment where a lot of people have been vaccinated, a lot of people have already been exposed to it, so they have some degree of natural immunity. And then, especially when we're talking about young people, where we, we've seen now over the last year and a half that when we're analyzing COVID and who it drastically affects, right? It, again, it can affect anyone, but when we look at where the most negative consequences are with respect to COVID, it tends to be with people that are elderly, have compromised immune systems, or have comorbidities, right? It's not young people going to school for the most part. That's not to say young people can't get it. It's just saying that they're not at the greatest threat from this as we look across the spectrum of hospitalizations and deaths as a result of COVID. And that, that holds true with the Delta variant. And so it's perfectly appropriate and it's perfectly scientific for someone to be able to make the argument that, wait a second, the, the costs associated with doing this don't necessarily match up with the benefits. But again, what happens every time we do that? We're accused of not caring, wanting people to die, not following the science. And then when we ask, okay, show me the scientific data that justifies this sort of position, and, and not just with respect to mask, but with respect to mask and how wearing a mask can impede learning, and then let's, let's, let's do a good analysis with respect to cost and benefit. No, no, we don't get that. We don't get that. You're just a bad person. All right, so again, when we look at you know, conservative arguments with respect to mask mandates in schools, and again, this goes to answering the question of my colleague. A bad conservative argument is just to say that masks don't do anything. Because obviously, if you wear an N95 mask and you do it appropriately, well then yes, that, that, can, that can definitely have a positive effect with reducing transmission. Is that the policy that's going on in all the school boards right now? That every child is going to be issued a nine, N95 mask and they're all going to be taught to wear it appropriately and then they're all going to wear it appropriately throughout the school day and the school year? No, that's not the policy. It's just show up with some sort of face covering. Right? So a bad conservative argument is just to say that none of this really matters. Okay, because now they're going to come back and they're going to get you. And, it, it, and even if a mask, right, especially like a cloth mask, which, which is nowhere near as effective as an N95 mask, and when you look at the nature of COVID, and when you look at the nature of Dr. Fauci's emails suggesting that a cloth mask does not do much to prevent transmission, and in fact that there are some side effects as a result of it, not just from constantly wearing a mask each day, but if you're wearing a mask, and it's getting dirty, and you're wearing the same one every day, and you're not uh, wearing it correctly, well, then it can also give a false sense of security, or it can be actually used as a transmission mechanism. So when you take all that into account, you now come up with a good conservative argument, which is to say that, again, from a scientific perspective, when you look at the sort of masks that are predominantly going to be used within these schools, and you look at the costs associated with wearing them, it doesn't add up. And therefore, it should not be mandatory. It should not be a precondition of whether or not your child can get an education. That is the argument that we need to focus on because that's the one that's actually affecting everyday people and especially our students in the most impactful way. If you were telling a child, that if you're telling a seven-year-old that unless they wear a mask all day, they're not going to get the benefit of in-person education and they might not even be able to get the benefit of online education depending on their circumstances, that is a pretty significant cost. Are you willing to do that? And see, they don't want to have that conversation. They just want to pass it off as, well, this is science. We're following the science, or we really care about the safety of our children and our teachers. Okay, wait a second. There, there are multiple factors. If you're really making a good, strong scientific argument and a comprehensive argument with respect to the issue that we're discussing, you have to take into account multiple factors, multiple costs, multiple benefits in order to determine whether or not this is an appropriate course of action at the school level. So to my colleague in the General Assembly, I would say, that's one reason why it's so difficult 
to have an honest conversation about this. And my colleagues suggested that those in the medical profession are baffled by the resistance to this. I, I will tell you right now, I I've got a couple of family members, a couple of really good friends within the medical profession to include professions which are specifically, specifically geared toward that area of the medical profession which deals with viruses and epidemics who don't believe in the efficacy of what they're doing at, at the school level. They, they don't share the same commitment to this particular policy that my colleague does. I'm not negating her experience. I'm not negating her education or her professionalist. I'm simply saying that she does not speak for the entire medical profession. And to suggest that everyone is, is baffled by why anybody would be concerned about students wearing masks seven hours a day within a classroom while they're trying to learn, I, I think is a little bit disingenuous. Or let's just say it's a little bit of a bold statement. All right, so that's, that's the first point. Bad conservative argument is to suggest that there, there's no use whatsoever to wearing any type of mask. No, some masks do have benefits, other masks do not have benefits. And then when we're actually looking at this particular situation with respect to education in schools, we have to weigh the, the health benefits associated with wearing certain masks versus the detrimental effects of masks on students all day while they're trying to learn. Okay, that is a legitimate, scientific, perfectly compassionate way to argue for this. And then ultimately, we have to put them in the position of answering a very important question. If a child does not wear a cloth mask seven hours a day in school, are you going to kick them out of school? And does that actually have a positive benefit not only for the child, but does it have a positive benefit for the society in general? If you now have students that are repeatedly going through not just one year, but now potentially two years in a diminished learning capacity. Right? That is a fair question, and it doesn't make us bad or horrible or evil people for asking. It doesn't make us unscientific for asking it. Because again, science is not something that the CDC tells you to do. Science is an analytical process that you use. And when you're looking at a response to a health crisis, or when you're looking at a response to something like the Delta variant, all right, genuine scientific analysis, when you're looking at public policy, takes into account what health professionals are saying about a particular virus and a particular measures in order to try to prevent that virus or mitigate its effects. And then you look at the nature of the policies that they're suggesting and you, and you analyze how it's going to affect everything else. Because if your solution for one problem creates a host of problems in another area, well, those problems might outweigh the particular policy approach to solving the problem that you're trying to address. So good public policy analysts look at a wide array of effects. We look at a wide, wide array of policy positions. And, and one of the things that we should be a little bit more humble about as representatives, as legislators, as executives, is understanding that ultimately, we're also a country that believes in individual liberty and personal responsibility. And sure, there's an argument to be made that if you are doing something that is directly infringing on the liberty or rights of someone else, that might be an appropriate way for government to come in and intervene. But in this case, I don't think we're really talking about that anymore. Because if you have been vaccinated, if you are wearing a mask, well then theoretically, if these things work so good, you should be safe. So the question is, is are we now going to use the government to compel everyone else to do that? And that's where I think it gets problematic. So that's, that's the first point. All right, second point. Here's another reason why it's become so difficult to have honest conversations about this, is when Rand Paul gets out there and actually discusses citing peer-reviewed studies, and then he gets kicked off of social media as a result, now all of a sudden we no longer have social media platforms or we no longer have an environment where we can have an honest discussion especially when health and medical professionals disagree or when scientists disagree or when public policy experts disagree about a particular topic. No, no, it's not that anymore. It's whatever the government has said now must be regurgitated. And if you don't, there will be consequences. 
And I don't just mean the typical social consequences of someone not agreeing with you or not liking you or the potential political consequences of someone not reelecting you. I'm talking about now where you're going to be stripped of your ability to be able to communicate with other people. And, and I find it fascinating when the left comes out and goes, well, they're a private company. They should do what they, they should be able to do what they want. Really? Since when have you believed that? I mean, I believe that. I, I believe that private companies should go in and if they want to kick someone off their platform, they can, provided that they are following the same rules and laws as everybody else. Because if they're going to actively go, if they're going to advertise themselves as a platform and then they're going to go and kick people off because they've decided to censor their speech, well, then now they're not just a platform, are they? Now they're a publisher. And that is very, very different. And so if you want to play by the same rules, well, then social media companies claiming to be platforms should have to play by those same rules, and they're not. And what's so horrible about this is that essentially they have picked a side on this, and that side is not based off of the best analysis possible. It's not based off the best data possible. It's not even based off of a commitment to freedom of inquiry. It's essentially based off the fact that they like the current administration, and if the current administration decides on a particular policy and the CDC comes out and essentially pushes that policy, well, now you will be punished within the public sphere. You could be deplatformed, not because you weren't following science. Again, Senator Paul cited two peer-reviewed studies in his discussion with respect to the efficacy of masks. Did that matter? No. At that point, don't give me this crap that you are following the science. What you are doing is you are following a particular narrative. You have picked the research that you like to the exclusion of the research that you don't like. Not because it wasn't peer-reviewed, not because it wasn't rigorous, but because it didn't back a particular political narrative you approved of. You're now going to exclude that as science and only accept this. I'm sorry, but that's authoritarian. And, and again, it feeds into answering my colleague's question. You want to know why we can't have an honest discussion about this? Because when, when Fauci says something that isn't true, or when he lies to us about something, does he get deplatformed? When the World Health Organization says something that isn't true, do they get deplatformed? When the CDC says something that isn't true, do they get deplatformed? No, 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 that's all part of the process. But when somebody else says something, there were people getting deplatformed for suggesting that the Wuhan lab had more to do with this than what they were initially letting on. That got you deplatformed six months ago, and now they can't kick you off because our own government is admitting, and Fauci has essentially admitted, that there was gain-of-function research done in the Wuhan lab, and oh, by the way, it's now appearing that your tax dollars may have been associated with developing that. But, but if you say that, you're what, unscientific? You're going to be deplatformed. Why? Because it's not the party line? At some point, organizations like YouTube are going to have to decide whether or not they're a platform or they're just court historians for whatever political power may be currently in charge. And that's pathetic. Don't sit there and tell me you actually care about free speech, freedom of inquiry, or, or a robust scientific argument if that's going to be a response when somebody says something that you don't necessarily like or comes to a conclusion about scientific research and data that the powers that be haven't approved today. Right, so let's go, let's go back to this, right? Bad conservative argument, good conservative argument. A bad conservative argument that I've seen with respect to YouTube kicking off Rand Paul and others is it's time for the government to come in and crack down on all of these social media uh, institutions. Okay, it depends on what you mean by that. If you mean that you want the government to more heavily regulate social media platforms, I can promise you, you will not like the results of that. You will not like the results. Because when it's Nancy Pelosi deciding how these organizations should conduct themselves, something tells me it's not going to achieve the end state you desire. Now, if you are saying that the government should be 
accurate and intellectually consistent in how it monitors these things, which is to say that if you're going to operate as a platform, you get the protections of a platform. If you're going to operate as a publisher, well, now all of a sudden you can be opened up to things like libel. You, you can now be sued if you put out false information or, or you deliberately harm someone with respect to your reporting or your censorship. You, you can be harmed for that. But they don't want that, right? They want the protection of the platform. So that's the part where, again, a good conservative argument is not to say that the government needs to be more involved in regulating private industry. Really what it is is that when private industry says they're doing one thing and in reality they're doing something else, when they say they're doing one thing in order to get legal protections and then they do something else that falls outside of what would be legally protected, yeah, there is a course of action right there. But I would say the other conservative argument here that we all need to get behind is one, calling out the hypocrisy of some of these platforms. And, and yes, call out that hypocrisy on their platform. If you're still on it, call out the hypocrisy on their platform. But we also now more than ever need more people to establish more platforms. We need more competition within the marketplace. And we've seen that with things like Rumble. We've seen that with things like Parler. And again, they're, they're still figuring it out, right? They're, they're still working to get a better product. We see the thing with MeWe. There's some, other, uh, there's some other companies right now that are working on it as well. And that is all very exciting because ultimately we want greater competition in the marketplace. We don't want to use the left-wing argument, which is every time we're mad with something, go to the government and have more regulations or government control. Because ultimately what you've done in that respect is you've accepted the nature of their argument in order to try to achieve what you think is a good conservative result. And even if you by accident achieve that good conservative result, I guarantee you it won't last long. So again, the solution here is for the law to be applied equally, not for the government to be more involved or to write even more laws in order to try to control social media. And then on the other side of it, we need more free, free market um, options within social media right now. I mean, again, this is a wonderful time. And I, I, again, I, I know of some people that, that, are, that are working on this to try to be more competitive in this environment, to not only provide you know, a, a good front-end platform that will allow for social engagement, but will also be providing the, the infrastructure behind it, the logistical infrastructure behind it to make sure that it can't be arbitrarily shut down like Parler was when all of a sudden Amazon and Google decided they didn't like it anymore. All right, let's go to our third and final point. And this goes into some things that just came up in the news. Uh, PolitiFact fact-checked the idea that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were going out around talking about how they weren't sure of this vaccine, that they didn't have a lot of confidence in this vaccine. Why? Because President Trump was in office. So again, going back to answering my colleague's question, why is it so difficult to have an honest conversation about a lot of this? Because both sides have been engaged in partisan politics. I think we all know that. But what is so frustrating is that every time that we, we launch a concern about something or we voice a concern about something, I constantly hear from my colleagues in the General Assembly that we're just playing politics, that we're making something out of nothing, whether it was masks, whether it was um, uh, the approach to COVID, whether it was lockdowns, whether it's things like CRT training in our schools. We all get told that all of our concerns are illegitimate or they're rooted in some sort of anti-science mentality or bigotry, hatred, racism, sexism, et cetera. Right? That's what we get told. You need to understand that when you tell us that, you're not just telling us as an elected representative, you're telling all the people that voted for us that we represent that they're either stupid or bigoted and so their concerns don't matter. That's the way we've been treated whenever we bring this up. And what is so frustrating is that the same people that are claiming that we don't want to follow the science with respect to COVID, right? I'm old enough to remember when Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Bill de Blasio were all going to street festivals in early 2020, calling Donald Trump a racist for trying to shut down travel from China and other places where the infection was spreading. 
I, I am old enough to remember, because it wasn't that long ago, when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were going around basically saying that they didn't necessarily trust the vaccine because it was happening under President Trump's administration. But now, now that you're in charge, all of a sudden, whatever you say is good and holy and sacrosanct and scientific, and we should just follow it without question. And if we don't follow it without question, there's something wrong with us. Despite the fact of the emails coming out with respect to what some of the things Dr. Fauci was saying. Despite the fact that we now know that the World Health Organization was just repeating talking points from the communist Chinese government. Despite the fact that YouTube and other social media platforms were literally banning people for suggesting the Wuhan lab had more to do with this than, than was, was first suggested. And then emails coming out from Fauci suggesting that he wasn't giving us the entire truth. So yes, when you get caught in lies or when you get caught in half-truths or when you put forward data that only tells half the story, we start to get skeptical of what you're putting out. And it is perfectly appropriate and perfectly reasonable for us to do that. And when we get treated like there is something wrong with us or that we are bad people or that we don't care about people being hurt by COVID because we don't necessarily buy hook, line, and sinker anything that the Biden administration is throwing out to us or the World Health Organization or the CDC, that's why. There is a perfectly rational reason why we have become so skeptical of the data that gets put out. And, and the way I know that you really understand this, even though a lot of the people on the left want to pretend that they don't, is because you were skeptical of the data when it was the Trump administration. You were skeptical of what was being put out by the government when it was the Trump administration. And if you want to go ahead and pretend that this is because Trump was evil and Joe Biden is the second coming, you go ahead and do that. But the rest of us are watching this, recognizing that there is something not adding up with the consistency of your messaging. In fact, the only consistency we get with the messaging is do what you tell us to do or you will find some new and innovative way to punish us, whether it's kicking our kids out of school, shutting down our business, preventing us from being able to go out and socialize. I mean, Bill de Blasio is now saying that if you don't get the vaccine, he thinks you should essentially be separated from society. So there's my third point. You, you, want, to, you want to truly understand why that there's a problem with this? Well, then you're going to have to look at your own side as well. You don't get to just point the finger at us and say, you're not following the science. Now, let's finish this up real quick with bad conservative argument, good conservative argument. Now, if you're someone that believed that anything that came out from the government when your particular political party was in charge is therefore great and wonderful and we should just believe it to a letter, and now you're, you're, you're changing your mind when there's a Democrat in control, I would say that's problematic. All right, now I'm not saying that you should you that, that we should just disregard whatever the CDC says. I'm certainly not saying that. I am saying that anybody that wants to apply critical thinking should look at something, especially when we're talking about major policy decisions which could affect your businesses, your ability to engage in commerce, your, your child's education, that we should view that with a little bit more skepticism than simply saying, oh, is, is it my party in charge? Well, then I guess it's okay. Because quite frankly, all of us should be skeptical of government power, right? Not because it can't be used for good things, not because it doesn't even have a legitimate or appropriate role within society. But anytime we start to see the government infringing on essential civil liberties or amassing an incredible amount of power over, for itself to interfere in your life, yes, that is the type where we need freedom of inquiry, not get in line, shut up, and do as you're told. And that applies to both sides in this debate. Because ultimately, on some level, this isn't on some level this isn't even left or right anymore, or, or I should say, liberal and conservative. On some place, this is authoritarian versus freedom. 
And yes, freedom comes with certain risks. I certainly don't deny that. But I will certainly take the risk associated with freedom versus the risk associated with authoritarianism. And the concerns that we have about this creeping authoritarianism being used with respect to this environment and being concerned that the power that is amassed during a pandemic will not go away even when the pandemic is heavily mitigated is a legitimate concern. Why? Because history is replete with examples of government assuming power for itself in, in the midst of an emergency and then never returning the power back to the people where it belongs. So the bad conservative argument is essentially to say that this is all, this is all just our problems with Biden or the CDC, and we didn't have these problems with Biden or the CDC when Trump was in charge. No, we have a problem with any government institution. We have a problem with any political party that is attempting to amass power for itself with no apparent end in sight. I don't want the Republican Party to have the sort of power that the Democrats are now trying to secure for themselves. I don't want any political party to have it. I want our primary focus to, to always be on the protection of individual liberty. And when there is a legitimate role for government to play in a situation like there, can, like there is with respect to a pandemic, we still need to measure that against the concerns associated with protecting a free society. All right, once again, I want to thank you for joining us on Making the Argument. Uh, we'll see you next episode. Also, if you get a chance, like, share, comment. Let us know what your comments on this so that we can get that feedback and we can continue to put out episodes, we can continue to put out information, and we can continue to make the arguments that will assist you in defending a free society. Once again, thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.